Thanks, guys. Wouldn't it be great if nothing was ever your fault? As a child of Adam and Eve, I would like it if nothing was ever my fault. Failed relationship, not my fault. Car crash, not my fault. Fight, not my fault. Bad grades, not my fault. Sin, not my fault. But the reality is, as you know, apart from Jesus himself, all of us have been at fault and are at fault in certain ways, at certain times, in certain events. So it might come as a surprise to you if I tell you this morning we're going to talk about having a no-fault ministry. Sounds kind of presumptuous. But the Apostle Paul uses that very verbiage in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, which is where we're going to be. And so we're going to talk about having a no-fault ministry or a faultless ministry. I'll give you a clue, heads up. He's not claiming sinless perfection. He's not claiming um, anything like that. But what he's going to do is show that if you're faithful to the true gospel, the truth about the true Lord Jesus, and that's what you promote and proclaim, then it's a no-fault ministry. Okay? So that's really where he's going. If you stick to the script from God, if you will, um, then you're not at fault. You're faultless. You're on the right track. You're doing the right thing. So if you'd follow along with me, we're going to go ahead and look at verses 1 to 13 in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. The Apostle Paul says, Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labor, labors, sleepless nights, hunger by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. And when we dig in a little bit, I don't think we'll get all done with all of these this morning, um, but when we dig in a little bit, we're going to be able to highlight seven marks Seven marks of a faultless ministry. Seven marks of a faultless ministry. And what we want to do is personally, as Christians, act in a faultless way when we serve other people. That's what ministry is. It's service. Um, and as a church, we want to have a faultless ministry when it comes to uh, church-wide. We, we don't want to be faulted. We don't want God to be unpleased. In chapter 5, we learned we'll all stand before the Lord one day and give an account. And so with that in view, we, we don't want Him to find fault. We don't want others to find legitimate fault. 
And even though it's a tall order, we're going to see that it has everything to do with Christ and everything to do with the gospel and everything to do with um, being faithful there. So I hope your desire is to have a faultless ministry. Um, I hope our church desire is to have a faultless ministry. And that's certainly what we're going to emphasize this morning. Ready to go? Seven of these for your thinking. So, faultless, uh, faultless ministry, number one, a mark, number, the first mark. I'll get my words out eventually. Number one, it sides with God. It sides with God, which sounds super arrogant, I know. We side with God, and that makes us faultless. But the Apostle Paul is basically going to argue that way. So the, the false apostles um, are sneaking into the church, and the Corinthian church is giving ear to them, and they're teaching all things uh, contrary to what Paul has been teaching about salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that Christ is the fulfillment, that Christ is the mediator, that Christ makes us new creations, uh, that His righteousness is given to us, all the stuff we learned about in chapter 5. Anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. The Apostle Paul says, I'm with that guy. Okay? I'm with the God who justifies sinners. I'm with the God who sent his unique son. I'm with him. That's good company. So that's where he's going. Let's go ahead and see. In verse 1 it says, working together with him. Okay? Talk about right side of history. Okay? I'm working together with him. The God who, who does it all. Chapter 5. Uh, Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. We side with the one who sent his son. We side with the one who speaks and interprets the meaning of it. We side with him. Uh, All of this, he said in chapter 5, is from God. Okay? Just for the unjust kind of talking is so awesome. I want to reread it. It's even in my notes, but we'll be here all day. But 518 to 21, I mean, maybe just 21 because it'll make me feel better. I mean, for our sake, he, God, made him the son to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul's saying, I'm with him. My ministry is all about that. You'd be crazy. You'd be one of those whacked out faker apostles decide against him, I'm with him, I'm on the right side of history. I'm agreeing with him. And he's even cautioning the Corinthians, you know, unless you accept the grace of God in vain, at first you listened to me, at first you responded positively, but it seems like the, the trajectory here is not very good. Did you receive the gospel? Did you receive what I told you? Did you receive the, the grace of God in vain, for, for nothing, to crash and burn? Don't do it, is the idea. So if we want to be faultless, to borrow that theme, we would want to be in agreement with God. We, we, we would want to be saying the same things that he has said. Um, is a simple takeaway on this. Paul's being attacked, his Christ is being attacked, his gospel is being attacked at different levels. And he's saying, no, I, I'm going to stay, uh, I want to be faultless before God because uh, I'm actually just echoing what he has said. Isn't it interesting also, if you look at verse 1, uh, working together with him, it's really interesting. It's striking because in chapter 5, he basically says God does all the work. All of this is from him. From start to finish, salvation is of the Lord. And he made that uber clear. And then he says, and we work together with him. How, how would that be? Well, he talks about having the message of reconciliation, right? We're messengers. Uh, we're um, ambassadors, ambassadors. 
See, it's not actually us. We represent him by speaking, by proclaiming. This is like Romans 10. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We proclaim the message. We don't do anything because God is the one who does all of the work. So just as a little Mark 1b, we could say another way to be faultless is to understand our, our roles. God is the one who saves. We don't. We don't save ourselves. We don't save other people. We're not the Holy Spirit. But he does call us to proclaim to everyone, and he uses that kind of proclamation ministry. Well, as you can see, I'm, I'm excited about this because um, sometimes you, you, you wonder, oh, so-and-so I heard that, that God told them something. Is that true? Well, it's contrary to how salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone works. I think I'm going to go ahead and, and, and side with, with God who's been clear about this in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. It's going to, it's going to keep me sane. It's going to keep me stable. It will keep us sane and stable as a church. Let's move on. Let's move on to the next mark. Fault, a faultless ministry sees Jesus as the Christ. Sees Jesus as the Christ. Verse 2 says... And by the way, by Christ, I mean Messiah, Old Testament word, uh, the, full, the, the, the promised one, the ultimate king, the ultimate deliverer, the ultimate um, kind, gracious, providing ruler, protector, Messiah, okay? That he is that one that we were waiting for. Look, look at verse 2. It, it's, it's awesome. 2 says, for he says, Paul's going to quote Isaiah 49. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, then Paul elaborates, behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And and I I love the verse because I didn't understand it for a long time. Now, yes, he's stressing urgency. You, You should act now. But... Before he's stressing that, he, he's, he's speaking in terms of Isaiah 49 prophesied that Messiah would come and be the ultimate deliverer. If it helps you think in terms of when you're in Isaiah, uh, you know, we, we always go to Isaiah 53, suffering servant. But the context around that, it's, it's leading up to that. There's, there's a lot more great stuff in that area than just chapter 53. So 49 is messianic prophecy. That there's going to be a greater Israel who who will save Israel. I.e., Jesus is the ultimate son. He's the ultimate faithful one. Okay, It's messianic. It even talks about he'll he'll, um, be a light unto the nations. Well, that's how the New Testament talks about Jesus. So when he says, don't don't let me lose you here. When he says a favorable time, in a favorable, favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you, then Paul says, behold, now is that. This is that, in other words. Waiting, waiting, waiting for the ultimate deliverer. Paul saying, Jesus is that. Jesus is that one. Jesus is that Christ. So think in terms of all of the types and shadows and all of the things that came before, right? Whether it would be uh, Israel as the unfaithful people, right? And now the ultimate Israel is going to deliver Israel or you're going to talk about the temple or the tabernacle, priests, sacrifices, all of the things that are called types and shadows, substance belongs to Christ. In other words, he's the one Isaiah 49 talked about. Jesus of Nazareth. The one who lived, died, and rose again. He's that one. So if you want to be on the right side, if you want to be faultless, you're going to see Jesus and say, he is the 
1. We're not waiting for version 2.0. We're not waiting for a different Jesus. We're not waiting for a better Jesus. We're not waiting for something new. What's the next big thing God is going to do? Super faker apostles, they can tell you about the next big thing on God's time frame, on God's calendar. Shout amen, somebody, right? You get the idea? Or however it's going to be spun? Paul is saying, now is the favorable time. Jesus came. This is the apex. He is the fulfillment. He is the one. Believe in Jesus. There isn't going to be a version 2.0. There isn't going to be a better. He is the one. Plant your feet and don't budge. Salvation is found in him. Remember chapter 5? God is reconciling the world through that one. He's the one. I get excited about it because when I don't understand a verse for a long time and then I understand it, it's like, oh, duh. In, in theology, we, we call this um, redemptive historical. Okay? If you read the Bible, redemptive historically. You've got, all, you've got God redeeming, God redeeming in temporary, temporal ways, uh, pictures, types, shadows. But it's progressing. It's moving forward to where there will be an ultimate one. And it was always all along planned to be him. Redemptive historically. You want to be um, faultless? See Jesus as the sum and substance, the end game, the fulfillment. We're not waiting for the next big thing. The next big thing happened 2,000 years ago. (laughs) He's going to return. But you plant yourself there. There's no drift. He's the ultimate, the ultimate son. Think about all the different cults have been started based upon, well, I got something new. I got these special glasses and I discovered this other thing. Never mind the fact that it's plagiarized from the King James Bible, but but whole, whole... States and cities are built around these things. It's the new 2.0. And it's a great way, by the way, to manipulate people. Because if I've got a secret, 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 I got a secret. Sorry, pop culture, 80s. (laughs) What a rut. (sighs) If I've got something secret, special, I can control you if you need it. And Paul's saying, Jesus is it. He's the one. Okay, let's move on. And and by the way, I'm not trying to downplay the time urgency. When you hear the gospel, respond. You need to respond, okay? You're, you're You're in danger of drifting away and receiving the grace of God in vain. I don't think he's downplaying that, but that's not first and foremost. Let's go to number three, faultless ministry. Next mark, number three, a faultless ministry adds zero obstacles. It adds zero obstacles. And because he was just talking about salvation and a ministry of reconciliation and all of it being from God, obstacles that would get in the way of that, I think, is the idea. Look at verse 3. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. No obstacle, clear path. God has done everything. We have a message of reconciliation. We call people to believe in Jesus. There's no obstacle. There's no penance. There's no cleaning up your life. There's no, um, in historical theology, there's no preparationism. Sounds like something you might catch or ointment you might need. There's no preparationism. 
Like you've got to do all this kind of stuff and then maybe God will accept you. You've got to give certain money. You've got to be a part of a certain club. You have to go through all these different things and whatever the, the holy man tells you to do. All this kind of stuff. And he says, you know what? There's no boundary. Nothing. Because Christ did everything to provide forgiveness and reconciliation. All done. All of this is from God. We simply call people to believe. Whereas false teachers are going to say, well, if you do this, and then you do this, and then you do this, and then maybe. How faithful have you been? And we, can, we confuse faith and faithfulness. We want to be faithful, but that's not what faith is. Faith means trust. You have to trust in Jesus, the one whose work is done. Right? Does it make sense? No obstacles. Let's turn it around. Any ministry that puts obstacles in people's way, hurdles they have to clear, is going to be a faulty ministry. Okay? And people object. Well, if you just tell people they have to believe in Jesus, and if they believe in Jesus, God justifies them, like Romans 3, 4, and 5 say, if you tell people that, that's dangerous. Because they might not behave. Well, behaving comes in chapter 6. But it's not an obstacle. So let's think through. Faulty ministry creates obstacles. Faultless ministry, please trust in Jesus, the one who said it is finished and God accepts you. So we've got to be clear on that. I realize this is like, you know, just banging the same drum all of the time. Um, but you probably know a hundred people who think Christianity is once you accomplish something, God might accept you. So you have plenty of opportunities to have this reinforced and reaffirmed. Salvation is of the Lord. No obstacles. Sometimes, by the way, we even, we redefine the word repentance in a wrong way. And we make re repentance is when you clean up your life. Well, if you have repentance, you must clean up your life. That, by the way, comes before salvation. That's an obstacle. Okay, the word repent means to change your mind. Metanoia, change your mind. Okay? Change behavior, we want to come as a result. That's why um, Paul and John the Baptist said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. We do want to bear fruit. But the bearing fruit is not the repentance. To repent is to change your mind. I used to think Jesus was an ordinary person, and now I think he's my one and only unique Savior. Okay? Don't, don't do what they did with the uh, Latin Vulgate and, and making and translating it and making... The word repentance, do penance. Doesn't say that, doesn't mean that. Okay? But we Protestants do that sometimes. As soon as you get your life cleaned up, then Jesus will accept you. No. No obstacles. And by the way, we want you to get your life cleaned up. And we want you to be a new creation in Christ and have the power of the Spirit and we want life changed, but that's a different category. Let's move on. Next one. Number four, we're going too fast, too slow. Just right. You are all too nice to me. Number four, faultless ministry, mark number four, it takes the hits. It takes the hits. It takes the hits and stays on message. Verse four says, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves. Word translated commend, uh, it means to show or to demonstrate. 
So as servants of God, we show ourselves. We, we, we um, reveal ourselves in every way. And then he's going to go on to talk about all the difficulties. But what he's, what he's doing is, servant of God, so I preach God's message. Servant of God, so I tell people about the God who does everything all through Christ. Servant of God, and I'm showing that I'm a servant of God by staying on his side, even when things are rough. Now let's keep going. By great endurance in, infl- in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, Paul's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad ministry is what that is. It's terrible, awful, all of these things. I, I didn't become a Christian and my life got better. I became a Christian and my life got a million times worse. But he's saying, I'm showing that I'm a servant of God. Okay? So, so I, I, I'm not um, a fair-weather fan. I'm showing, I'm demonstrating, I'm proving that I'm a servant of God because I tell people about Jesus being the Savior, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, if you will, my shorthand, I stick to it because I'm a servant of God, not a servant of my own appetites. There, you know, I could do something easier, I could do something better. Even when it's hard, I take the hits because I actually am legitimately a servant of God, not like those guys you're listening to. I tried to make that somehow the sermon title. Paul's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad ministry. Uh, got too long. Then he goes on, how, how he does this. Here's how he does that. Verse 6, by purity. Now sometimes that's referenced um, moral cleanness, sexual purity. Certainly he would mean that, but I would go to Titus in First Timothy for that. I think here um, he's talking about being honest having integrity, to not have any other thoughts, not trying to hide something. Purity, purity in message, purity in, 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 in honesty, integrity himself regarding the gospel, regarding a ministry of reconciliation. He goes on to say, knowledge. How do you remain faithful during hard times and how does knowledge help you? Well, he knows things that are true about God and he knows things that are true about Jesus and he knows things that are true about people and he knows things that are true about how salvation works. He knows things. It troubles me greatly that Christians don't know things. How do I remain faithful even though uh, all, all hell's breaking loose circumstantially? One way is he knows things, okay? Because I know things, I don't do certain things. And because I know things, I do other certain things. So that's why even last week we talked a lot about you have to know things, okay? The Apostle Paul couldn't know false apostles from true apostles if he didn't know things. Do you know the gospel well enough do you know things about God and how, Christ, how God works in Christ to be able to be discerning and remain faithful and not tossed everywhere would be my question. And, and if you don't, you're in the right place. If you do, you're in the right place because we're going to help each other. But I've given my life to trying to help you know things. Knowledge. Knowledge can be bad, but if we don't have any knowledge, it's worse. If you would, just go to chapter 11 with me. You all look like you might need a break at least from chapter 6. 
chapter, chapter 11 is so interesting. See, this is what's kind of fueling this, this attempt to help the Corinthian church. He says in verse 4 of chapter 11, For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. See, he knows things. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. He knows the truth about God in Christ. He knows it so he can say, that is a false apostle. That is a false gospel. I would want you, like he would want the Corinthians, and I would want it for myself too, to know things well enough to be able to say, this is what's true, these are my convictions based upon what's true, and therefore I don't have to be misled by people who have ulterior motives. Fair enough? We have classes, lots of classes. We have sermons, lots of sermons. Guess what we're going to do in the rest of this sermon? We're going to know things. We're going to understand things. Okay? I want to go off on so many different kind of ta- kinds of tangents, I can't even tell you. The, the, the Bible, the Bible is not that complicated. I mean, it's complicated, but it's not that complicated. Romans written to new Christians. And with some just basic work and reading it through, you can really understand, you can know things. Okay? You can know lots of things. But it's amazing for how many years I was a Christian, I didn't know the most basic of things. Oh, sure, somebody would wow me with some multicolored chart that, that tells us that we can know exactly when Jesus is coming back, regardless of what he said. Um, <laughs> since he said no one knows. Anyway, I mean, I, I, there's all these things I was supposed to know, but I, I didn't really know the gospel. I didn't, I didn't really know any kind of depth of what's in a basic book like Romans. I'm afraid lots of us are in that spot. But I'm also encouraged because I think you could be a great missionary in your own realm of influence. Because if you commit yourself to knowing basic things about Jesus, biblical things about Jesus, you're really going to help people. And you're really going to be help yourself. More about how he did it. He did it with patience. Maybe patience with God's timing, patience with other people, because God was patient with him. Uh, Kindness. God had certainly been kind to him. He could be kind to others, even though they were against him. He was against God at one point in time. That's how he he could be faithful, feet planted. The Holy Spirit, encouraging him, awaiting the Holy Spirit to work in people's lives, because he's not the Holy Spirit. Genuine love, obviously modeled after God's love for, for him in Christ. Genuine love for others. By truthful speech, that, that could be true in general, but I'm going to read it in light of the, the gospel of chapter 5. Truth, true, truthful speech about, about God and the power of God. That God has to do the work. It's not something we do. We proclaim the gospel, but God works in the heart through the power of the Spirit. So, you stand fast. Steadfast. Paul, we, my kids and I were watching the old Timex ads last night because just to get a laugh. It takes a licking and keeps on ticking. 
like you know, some kind of junior high professor guy, and they take the Timex watch, and some cliff diver in Acapulco, Mexico, you know, and, and, and jumps off the cliff, and he's still got the Timex watch. It's like two minutes long. Oh, look, Ricardo's there, and oh, he's going to bash up against the rocks. But, you know, look at that Timex. And they would go on and on. They, they strapped one to a, a boat motor and put it on the propeller and spun it around. It takes a licking and keeps on ticking. By the way, I have a Timex. I like Timex watches, maybe because I watched too much TV when I was a kid. <laughs> bam, bam. Life is hard. Life is bad. Life is getting worse because I'm a Christian, not better because I'm a Christian. How do you do it? How do you do it? If you're a faker, you don't. If you're a faker, you cash out. Do something else. The Apostle Paul sincerely is a servant of God to be found faultless even though he's a sinner because he's stuck to the script of the gospel truth regarding Jesus. Let's move on. Number five, to have faultless ministry. Mark number five, um, you fight with righteousness. You fight with righteousness. What kind of fighting are we going to do? Verse seven says, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. So what kind of weapons? My, my dad used to carry brass knuckles in his coat. <laughs> when, we went, when we would go to what he thought was a bad neighborhood for a basketball game for my brother, he'd have his brass knuckles. He had two pair, by the way, but he didn't carry both, so the, the illustration doesn't work. So, I know, I'm still in counseling. I've had an interesting life. <laughs> What kind of weapons do we have? Well, he's using the image. And notice the weapon that we have in our right hand is righteousness. But we don't have a different weapon over here. Uh, We have the same weapon. The only weapons that we really have, at least in this illustration, making his point, are the weapons of righteousness. Okay, so we're not, we're, we're not going to fight this battle with something else. That's what we have to have. And if we have that, then we can fight this battle. So it's a good image. You don't need anything else. Well, what does he mean? Well, righteousness, we talked about it last week. It's a word that's all over the Bible, so you do yourself well to at least know what it means. Uh, to be righteous means to uphold law, to be law-abiding, to be law-keeping. And so I think he uses it in a, in a, a ge- general sense. We're, we're going to be truthful, we're going to be honest, we're going to have integrity, not sleight of hand. Uh, we're going to be upright, law-abiding in how we do ministry. But I think there's a lot more involved. Not less than that, but more. In so many ways, it's all about righteousness, okay? We're unrighteous. This is 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and Romans, not to mention everywhere else. We're unrighteous. We break God's law. So God requires perfect righteousness. Uh, In other words, we're to love God and love neighbor appropriately all the time perfectly. That's how Jesus summarized God's law. So God requires righteousness. And so we tell people, you've got to be perfect. You've got to love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself or else. And we know no one has done it except Jesus. So we we do proclaim the law, though. We have to or the gospel won't make any sense. So we do have a, a message of righteousness. But then we also know that God not only, number one, requires righteousness. What, what am I going to say next? He provides righteousness, right? In Christ, through the gospel, the only religion that does this ever on planet Earth. Okay? God provides righteousness through a substitute he's been talking about in chapter 3, in chapter 4, in chapter 5. Righteousness provided by Christ. So, right? Our guilt, our unrighteousness is credited to Christ. That's in chapter 5, even though he knew no sin. 
It's credited to Him. He's our sin substitute, our sin bearer to take away our guilt. Okay? And then His righteousness, His perfection, His perfect obedience is credited to us by faith. And so God sees us as if we're perfect even though we're not. Weapons of righteousness, false teachers again and again and again, it's the default mode, probably what they're going to deny is they're going to deny that God either requires perfect righteousness or that God provides perfect righteousness. And that Christ is, as Peter says, the righteous, because he's our substitute. So if you can get that, we're going to fight, fight the battles that way. We're going to understand that. He is the one. He is the one who provides it. Good image. Maybe not the brass knuckles, but it is a good image for us to understand and see so that we can honor him. Lots more to talk about there, but we'll move on to number six. A sixth mark of a faultless ministry is this. It lives with dichotomies or it lives with the dichotomies, the tensions, the conflicts, the the apparent confusions, specifically when it comes to the way we're treated. When I first understood the gospel in its basic sense and I understood that I was not a Christian, I wanted to tell everybody I knew and I'm so naive and so dumb at this point, I thought everybody would be happy. Some of the most religious people I knew weren't happy and that was the biggest surprise to me. It was so puzzling. Some people were happy, some people weren't happy and I thought, this is, this is, this is weird. Maybe you've had a similar experience, maybe not, but how about these dichotomies here with Paul? Verse 8, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as imposters and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. What a weird world we live in. What, What a weird reality is to be a Christian. Right? One person wants to kiss you, they're so happy. And the next person wants to take you out, they're so angry. And it's just a, it's a weird world living in the, what we called last week, the already not yet. Right? In Christ, perfect, accepted by God, everything's wonderful, guaranteed glorification, guaranteed resurrection. But until you're resurrected, you're living in the in-between time, and sometimes it's awesome. And sometimes it is terrible. The Apostle Paul, no matter what happens circumstantially, because I'm not in it for anything other than the honor of God and the good of my soul, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm living with the dichotomies. Let's move on and do the final one. Number seven, a faultless ministry, seventh mark, speaks earnestly. It speaks earnestly. Sincerity, genuineness, specifically about the gospel. Please don't miss this. I know we're wrapping up, but don't miss verse 11. We have spoken freely to you. A little confusing at first. Didn't charge money? Well, that's true. Um, But it's actually an idiom uh, of speech. and Literally, it means to open your mouth. Okay? Just to open your mouth up to something. It's transparency. You're not holding anything back. It's earnest. It's not sleight of hand. It's, it's integrity showing. We have spoken freely to you. We, we speak the complete truth. Um, 
One scholar put it this way, to be completely open with, to conceal nothing from, to speak the whole truth to. So it's no bait and switch. It's no hiding. You're just open and up front. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is how it's going to go. This is how it works. No sleight of hand, no deception, not making things up. You just open your mouth and it all comes out. That's how we want to be. We don't want to bait and switch people. We want to tell them the truth earnestly, with integrity. Um, Might make them happy, might make them mad, might make them confused. We just want to open our mouth. And what we're doing is we have the message of reconciliation. So we're opening our mouth and we're opening our mouth telling them about what we learned about in chapter 5. Then he goes on to say, Corinthians, our heart... Oh, excuse me, he says it to the Corinthians. I broke up the sentence. Freely to you, Corinthians, sorry. Our heart is wide open. Caring. Genuineness. It's why we open our mouth. Because we actually care. Those false apostles are telling you that I don't care. Maybe they're telling you I don't care because I don't do this, that, or the other thing for you. Maybe good things. But he's making the point... I care, and you know how I know that I care? Because I opened my mouth and I told you the truth about Jesus. Okay? I care faultlessly. You could find all kinds of other faults that Paul had. He wasn't very good good at visitation, right? I didn't really like his fashion sense. I didn't really like the way his tone of voice is. I didn't really like blah, 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 blah. Oh, Paul doesn't care. If he cared, he'd be with you now. If he cared... Paul says, you know what? I care. I care. And the proof is I opened my mouth and I told you the truth about Jesus faultlessly. I care. Then he says, you are not restricted by us. What he's saying is, the fault is not with us. You like to blame. The blame on this one is not with us. You're not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. You want to laugh? That's an idiom that literally means to be restricted in the bowels. So, (laughs) Uh, you know, the problem isn't with me. The problem is with you and your restricted bowels. Well, kind of gross, I know, before lunch. But deep down inside you're the one with some kind of convoluted, twisted agenda. My, from the very, my bowels are open, you say. <laughs> Deep down inside, in the innermost being that we shouldn't talk about before lunch, I care is what he's saying. And you know that I care because I preach Christ to you. Maybe I don't care in the ways you've invented for me to care. I faultlessly care because I tell the truth about Jesus. In return, I speak as to children. I don't think he's speaking condescendingly here. He does that sometimes. I don't think it's the scold mode here. I think it's the care mode. In return, I speak to you as children. Widen your hearts also. I genuinely love you. Proof is faithfulness to the gospel. 
it would make all the sense in the world for you to not be against me if you're a Christian. By the way, if you're for Christ and I'm the apostle of Christ, you you would care about me and, and we would feel like we're family. But that wasn't happening then, is what he's saying. They're against him. And if they're against him, they're against his Christ and against his gospel because that's the very issue at hand. Okay? Martin Luther. I'm going to borrow from Martin Luther and we're going to end. Martin Luther talked about there are two kinds of people. There are theologians of glory and theologians of the cross. Okay? And I would say everyone is a theologian because everyone believes something about God. Theologians of glory, theologians of the cross. Theologians of glory like to say, well, God is who I want him to be. And God acts the way I expect him to act. Okay? Theologians of glory. Theologians of the cross are theologians who say, it's not how I would have done it. To provide salvation through the execution of the sinless, spotless lamb. Forgiveness through atoning death. It's not how I would have done it. Theologians of the cross. Okay? We want to be not theologians of glory. We want to be theologians of the cross. To agree with God about what he has said about his son. To agree with Jesus about what he has said about himself. Even if it causes us to say... It's not how I would have done it. It is a bit of a mystery. So maybe it's overly harsh to divide everyone up like that, but it could be helpful. When you hear someone speak and they're talking to you about God, you can think, oh, she's a theologian of glory. Or you can think, he's a theologian of glory. To me, God is. To me, God should. Here's how I would do it. Here's what, here's what I think. Here's what I feel. And you can think to yourself, because it's a helpful little tool, because we're talking about having um, fault or no fault. You think, uh, theologian of glory. Or when someone says, you know, it's amazing to me that God would send his son for us. It's amazing to me that God would do this. It's amazing to me that God is so gracious. And I don't know how it all works, but I definitely believe that the the just for the unjust uh, brings us to God and only the just for the unjust could possibly bring us to God. And you can hear that man or that woman or that young person and you can think to yourself, theologian of the cross. It's good. We're agreeing with God. We're going to end with that. Pray with me if you would. Father, thank you for this morning and help us, even as sinners, all of us being, help us to have a faultless ministry because we point people to the Lord Jesus Christ and not to ourselves or our inventions uh, or other kinds of um, notions. Help us to stick to the script, as it were, in echoing what you've already said about your son, that we would have a ministry of reconciliation with a message of reconciliation, and that you would be glorified and honored as a result of that. In Jesus' name, amen.